Hi, I'm Anita Johnson. Just a quick request before we get started. Please rate us on iTunes or wherever you catch our podcast. That helps other people find us. And of course, give us a high rating. Thanks, and here's the show. Making, making contact. Making, making, making contact. This is Making Contact. I'm your guest host this week, Catherine Steyer. The violence is not perpetrated only with guns and knives. It's perpetrated by legislation, economic measures, and so forth. That's Silvia Federici. She's an Italian-American radical feminist, activist, scholar, and educator. Her notable work includes co-founding the International Feminist Collective in 1973, and she's published seven books all about feminism. Her most recent book, Women, Witches, and Witch Hunting, is a continuation of the work she put forth in the popular 2004 text, Caliban and the Witch. She explores violence against women as a necessary precondition for capitalism and asks whether it's capitalism that turned women into witches. More broadly, more broadly, the transformation, restructuring of the world economy that has taken place over the last four decades at least as making it more and more difficult for women to survive and has created such condition that has put women really at the center of a lot of violence. Federici's book, Women, Witches, and Witch Hunting, looks at modern-day witch hunts. Federici sees these hunts as a product of globalization to oppress women and drive them from their land. Federici draws a through line from witch hunts and medieval enclosures to modern-day neoliberal capitalism and natural resource extraction. In both cases, poor women and women of color suffer most. According to Federici, this constitutes violence against women, and when viewed together can be seen as a sustained war on women. Here are excerpts from a December 2019 lecture Federici gave in Berkeley, California at an event sponsored by KPFA Radio. Federici. You know, enclosures for those of you who maybe are not familiar with the medieval English history, it's uh, the, the process that it was a very, it's a very specific term. You know, is the term, is the, is the process by which the landlords, roughly speaking, at the end of the 16th century, uh, began to expel, you know, the peasantry, the peasants, they were you know, living off their land, on their land, and they were using some of the lands they had given them in exchange for labor services. Right? And uh, so they would enclose the land, fence them off, that they were given to the peasantry to chase them off, to chase them away, you know, and to turn the land that they had used for their subsistence into land that would be marketed. It's the, really the beginning of capitalism, right? The two conditions that a capitalist society needs. You know, a population that is propertyless and therefore has to depend on whatever work is given to them and of course depend on very miserable wages, 
as the beginning of a wage system, and on the other, land that is not being used and can be put on the market, can be commercialized, can be sold, can become actually an instrument of exploitation of people. Like this, at least in Europe. So the enclosure is actually the fencing off and the chasing of people. And I'm looking in one of these essays, what is the connection? Because there is a clearly a connection between this major attack and the turning of masses of people into a landless population and the witch hunt. You know, it's, it's one of the connections between this persecution and the rise of a capitalist society. First of all, the women who were accused were usually older women and poor women. You know, and the whole context of the charges is a context, it's a place, it's a space where people have nothing, particularly this population of older women who are going around, many of them begging, begging their neighbor for a little bit of milk, for a little bit of uh, wine, butter, right? and, and for a bit of sociality. Many were accused, they would show up at marriages uninvited. And um, so there is a whole picture there that clearly connects the context of which hunt like to a context of a society that has gone through major processes of dispossession. And also the explanation that is given for why these women, you know, are causing all these damages, the damages imputed to them, raising storms and destroying the crops, destroying the crops of their better off neighbor. So they are accused of actually having created the storms or maiming the animal, the animals die, and of course, there is the bad woman who has been indicted, or causing people to die, right? And it's the jealousy. These women are eaten up by this jealousy. So all this right, speaks of a space, of a social space that is ridden, obviously, by tremendous division, right? And by the fear of those who are better off, that the poor are, you know, engaged in want to revenge against them. The witch hunts were also the product of the enclosure, another kind of enclosure that is really has been completely ignored in the in the Marxian and Marxist, you know, histories which is the enclosure of the body. You know, I, one of my argument is that fences have been put not only around the common lands, not only around the commons and the land that people had in use, fences have been put also around our, the bodies in so many ways, in so many ways. You know, the bodies in the sense, particularly women's body, in the sense that, um, you know, with the witch hunts and the rise of capitalism, you have a drive by the state to possess, to control the body of women and to put them at the service, 
of the reproduction of the workforce, the reproduction of people's capacity to work. Yeah, so to control procreation. So the demographic, demographic movements become extremely important. In fact, demography really is born as a science with the capitalist society. How many people are dying? How many people are born? How many people are marrying? Uh, and this, I, I, my theory, the theory I, I've presented is that, you know, has to do with the fact that capitalism is the first system in history who makes of human labor the substance of wealth. You know, previous system connected wealth to possession of land, you know, possession of control over large territories. Capitalism places wealth in terms of women, of people's labor. And uh, it's not how much land that you possess, it's how many workers you can exploit. And this, I think, has affected also, you know, the capitalist class relationship to women, to procreation, the women's body, marriage, the question of democracy, demography, and, you know, because immediately the procreation becomes a moment, you know, an expert of the, the process of the reproduction of the workforce and becomes extremely important as uh, an activity to be controlled. And the witch hunt clearly is, uh, you know, instrumental to that process. Similarly, the control of a women's sexuality sexuality is deeply involved in the question of procreation and also in the discipline of labor. Right? You have to discipline sexuality to have a disciplined workforce. Right? Sexuality involves the whole, what do you call, waste of energy or use of energy. It has to be controlled really very uh, minutely because that energy has to be used productively, so has to be channeled in a proper way. Right? So that's why I speak of enclosure of the body. There's an enclosure of land, but there's also an enclosure of the body. as an enclosure of social relation. Capitalism, from the very beginning, is a major, major attack on sociality. Every form of collective activity, every form of collective work, first of all, collective work, the destruction of the common, you know, individualizes work relation, and then you have the attack on collective games, festival, even pilgrimages, uh, even that becomes a target. Sylvia Federici says as female bodies are enclosed by capitalism, their social lives also undergo a kind of structural readjustment. In the very time period in which the witch hunts unfolded, which was more than two centuries, we have a transformation in the meaning of gossip, which used to mean a good friend. Right? You know, you say, I'm going out with my gossip. And uh, the gossip was uh, often also the woman who would be like the, the comadre. But within a, a, a two centuries, it has the meaning has changed completely. And gossip means this kind of, you know, terrible type of talk, idle talk at best, right? Or a malign talk, you know, 
gossiping always implies that you're saying bad things about people and, uh, and in any case, nothing positive, nothing of value, no? And so to me, that change in the name, in the meaning of gossip is reflective of a whole transformation that is taking place because the witch hunt were not an isolated persecution. Right? They came accompanied by a whole set of laws, legislations, right? that basically uh, penalize, for instance, any form of contraception and uh, increase the penalty for every interference you know, with the process of procreation, making it a capital punishment, and with all kinds of legislation and reforms of everyday life. In England, for instance, more and more, it was looked down upon for women to sit in front of the house as they used to do in uh, all throughout Europe. When you finish your work or when you work, you go and sit in front of the house and you talk with other women across the street. Uh, so any moment of female friendship and female cooperation it's now come under attack. And the only legitimate relation the women can have is either to a master or to a husband, which is often the same thing, and to a husband, and even a relation with her relatives begin to be looked down upon. Right? So the question of gossip, I think, is very important and uh, has opened up also another chapter of cruelty, another chapter of barbarity, because women who were seen as too talkative, too rebellious, and women also who were involved in struggle, like against the enclosure, would be punished by being muzzled, right? A whole frame, a metal frame, the same kind of metal frame that was used for slaves. I don't know if you have seen it. It's metal or leather will be put into the, on their head and it would have a tongue and the tongue would go into their mouth and the tongue would have a spike. And if the woman tried to talk, the spike would lacerate the tongue. And so, and in this way, muzzled this way, they were often paraded, you know, like a dog on a leash, they'll be paraded through the village or through the community to be an example to other women. This is a fact. The name of the contraption Federici is describing here is the Scold's Bridle, also known as a witch's bridle. The first recorded use took place in Scotland in 1567. There's something, you know, of the devaluation, expressive of the devaluation of women as a social subject, and devaluation of solidarity among women, friendship, and knowledges. You know, the knowledges that women pass down in the community about procreation, herbs, you know, healing practices, contraception, all these now begins to be demonized, criminalized, devalued, and made, you know, an object of suspicion. There's something so extraordinary about that persecution. 
I don't know who else in history has been accused of being a servant of the devil, of being the enemy of humanity, not of having killed, not of having done, but literally of being thoroughly evil, so completely evil as to actually being a servant of the devil. You've been listening to Silvia Federici talk about her most recent book, Women, Witches, and Witch Hunting on Making Contact. Our show is distributed for free to radio stations in the U.S. To find out how to support us, download shows, or get our podcast, go to radioproject.org. Join the conversation on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. Our handle is at making underscore contact. Now, back to Silvia Federici discussing a new surge of interpersonal and institutional violence against women, including new witch hunts. Federici says this surge of violence is occurring alongside a global expansion of capitalism. So this has been a very important aspect for me for the formation of modern capitalist society. And Silvia Federici ties that increase directly to capitalism and globalization. The reappearance of witch hunting in recent time has been for me a source of tremendous concern and expressive of so much that is happening you know, to women. Obviously not to women uniformly. It's very important. In the same way as the old witch hunt, they didn't attack women uniformly. It was mostly on poor women, women were being dispossessed. You know, the cases of better off women were much more rare. And then, oh, women in the Andes, indigenous women, slave women. So it's very important not to put a blanket, and this is true today, that the violence against women is very targeted, particularly of black women, women of color in general, and women who have no resources, and immigrant women. But what I think is a, a, an undeniable fact is over the last three, four decades, almost in every part of the world, the violence against women in its diverse targets and effect has increased across the world. we also see the violence is not perpetrated only with guns and knife, it's perpetrated by legislation, economic measures, and so forth. When, for instance, you have laws of bills that are passed, that are dispossessing, like today, 700,000 people from access to food, that's violence. That has to be called, shown to be violence. Austerity programs that are depriving thousands and thousands of people of access to health so that you can go to a doctor only when your cancer is metastatic. That is violence. So I think it's very important to also define what we mean by violence and to see there is a broader spectrum of uh, activities and then is usually recognized. The violence against women 
in its diverse targets and effect has increased across the world, uh, both with formal witch hunts and many, many informal ones. Many, many informal witch hunts because there is a, a whole level of violence today that particularly institutional. Institutional violence is really the origin of all violence because in a way it sets the criteria of what is legitimate and what is not legitimate. So this is the context in which you now begin to see right, this new accusation that are taking place in community that have been in the process of being destabilized by a tremendous, tremendous attack on all the forms of subsistence, all the forms of reproduction, right? In which the effect began to be felt, you know, of an economy that was globalized. What does it mean that globalized? What does it mean? It means that yesterday you were able to sell your coffee at a certain price and you understood that if you produce certain amount of coffee and so on, you'll be able to gain a certain amount of money. And all of a sudden, the same coffee that yesterday allowed you to survive, today uh, sells on a price that it's worthless, makes it worthless. Same is true for cotton, same is true for all kinds of agricultural commodities because all of a sudden you are in an economy where the decision about your living or dying are taken in Washington rather than being taken you know, by the national government or by the regional government. And so all of a sudden you have population that are living, they are being completely destabilized by the attack, the economic attack, but destabilize in a way mentally because understanding what are the major components, what are the forces that are impacting your life? What are the forces that impact your life? Why you can sell your coffee one year and then now you cannot sell it any longer, right? Becomes very mysterious. I always say in the Middle Ages, you could tell who exploited you. You saw the castle, you saw the owner. Now you don't know because if you are in a village in Africa, if you are in a village in, in, in India, you are in fact you know, affected by forces that are very, very far removed by, from your ability to understand what is actually taking place. I'm seeing a profound connection with uh, the question of dispossession of land and the austerity programs that have been implemented since at least the early 1980s by the World Bank, the IMF, that have thrown millions of people in a very, very abject conditions of poverty. Because those programs really are a form of recolonization. They have brought back millions of people in Africa, in Latin America, parts of Asia, to the very conditions that, you know, 
uh, inspire the anti-colonial struggle. They have forced governments to disinvest in the reproduction of the local population. They have given green light to companies, extractivist companies, oil mining, right, to basically go into the country and take out subsoil wealth, you know, expel people when they resisted. And all of this, as you know, in the name of a debt crisis that was very artificially engineered in the late 70s, you know, by a change by the Federal Reserve in Washington of the interest rate on the dollars. So that former colonized country, formerly colonized countries, who had just come out of the anti-colonial struggle and who had taken loans, they had taken loans to catch up, to develop, right? Uh, overnight, almost, found themselves you know, defaulting, you know, not being able to pay back those loans. And as you know, at the moment comes the World Bank, comes you know, the, the cavalry. They come and they say, oh no, no problem, no defaulting, we give you a loan, but you have to adjust. And the adjustment meant a set of reforms that have really recolonized those countries and have really set off massive migratory movement because millions have found themselves in the position of not being able to support themselves any longer, neither with access to land nor with access to jobs. They were being basically shut down, companies shut down, and um, neither by access to education. Uh, those who were destined or could have gone to schooling, different forms of schooling, um, were in fact forced to go take the road of migration. The transformation, restructuring of the world economy that has taken place over the last four decades at least, right, is making it more and more difficult for women to survive and has created such condition that has put women really at the center of a lot of violence. And again, not all women, we know the black women, trans women and so on are especially targeted. And, and that's why you find that they are really the target, so many, women's leaders of uh, movements against extractivism, from Berta Cáceres, but many others in Colombia have been killed, no? But let's not forget that uh, the source of violence is not just men who are abusing their power, that the fact that they can do it is because they have institution behind them that allows that, if not incentivize them directly. No? That for example, a change in the economic condition of a lot of women 
who go a long, long way to deal with the violence against women. But let's see, let's also understand the violence in the Broadway. Let's understand that that violence is a violence that permeates all the social structure, the economic, political structure of the society. You've been listening to excerpts from a lecture given by feminist author, internationalist, and activist Silvia Federici on Making Contact. Special thanks goes to KPFA Radio for allowing us to broadcast this recording. For links to Federici's books, go to radioproject.org. Our music today was provided by Blue Dot Sessions and the film Bella Ciao by Giusti Torelli Frecero, which documents the protests of the 2001 G8 summit in Genoa. The Making Contact team is Executive Director Lisa Redman, Producers Monica Lopez, Anita Johnson, and Salima Hamarami. And I'm your host this week, Catherine Steyer. Thanks for listening to Making Contact. Thank you.